Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. Hey guys, welcome back to Cheaper Than Therapy. Um, I just loved today's guest. I feel like I related to her so much. She's like one of those women that you feel like is a girlfriend that you've known for a really long time. And she's a therapist, but I feel like that is so much of what her appeal is, is that she's just like super relatable therapist. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that what she's doing, because she's relatable, and I think she probably knows that that's part of what her draw is and what mm. her ability to like help and heal people is. And I, I think that she's talking about breaking the stigma around therapists need to be blank slates who don't share anything about themselves and who you're going to project all of this, you know, they have their shit together and they're perfect and they're going to judge me stuff onto, right? Because um, really at the end of the day, we're all in this together and we're all coming from our own struggles, our own trauma. And I think she does a really good job of just being super clear and honest about that. Mm, yeah. And I think it makes sense that it resonates with us so much. That's so much of what we talk about is that we're sort of walking alongside you on this journey. And I think it's, it's just really important um, for people to have sort of this model of like, yes, we do our own work. Yes, we struggle. Um, and I think it's, you know, Amanda, our guest today, has such a strong um, social media presence. And I think a lot of that is because she does so much for people that might not have had access to therapy to sort of like normalize, like this is what therapy is and it's not so scary actually, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like taking taking the fear out of it and just making it seem more real, more accessible and just like, let's not be ashamed. Let's not be ashamed mm. that we want therapy, that we're interested in therapy, that we go to therapy. Um, therapy for everybody. <laughs> yeah, that we're human. And this is a part of like bearing witness to our experience of our humanity. Mm. Yeah, I love it. And guys, if you're listening and you make it to the end, we'd love for you to, you know, give us a five-star review. What, what? We're going to start asking for that now. Give us a five-star review and, and, you know, Give us a little bit of um, some feedback, honestly, because that's how we get the word out. You know, if you guys give it a share to some friends that you think will like it, give it a share on your Instagram. Uh, shameless plug here, but that's how we get out to more people because, you know, algorithms. Yeah. And I feel like that's so true. Like we are like so inspired by the guests that we're having and the work that we're doing and the conversations that are coming up. And we would just love to continue and share it with more people. Hope you enjoy. Today and I are really excited. We have Amanda E. White here with us today, and she's a licensed professional counselor, and she's the founder of Therapy for Women Center in Philly. Therapy for Women is known for taking the intimidation out of therapy by only hiring therapists that have dealt with the mental health issues they specialize in, which is super interesting to me. I can't wait to talk about that. Amanda specializes in helping women with substance use disorders, eating disorders, and trauma. And she specifically specializes in working with young women under the age of 35, college age women, and those transitioning into adulthood. So I want to thank you 
for being here with us, especially during this crazy week, because as we are yeah. recording, it is literally like day 100 of the election. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and be chatting about something else. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Amanda, we've both been following you for a while and I feel like, you know, the point of this podcast and why we kind of wanted to start it was to do something that sort of destigmatizes, normalizes conversations around mental health. I certainly feel like you are such a voice doing that out in the world right now. So first off, thank you for that work. Um, and I'd love to hear a little bit about your story, your journey to becoming a therapist. I don't really know that much about how you came into doing this work. So if you'd start with sharing that with us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I've been a therapist, I guess, for about six or so years now, and um, I really came into it because of my own struggles. I've been in therapy since I was like 15. I struggled with an eating disorder um, when I was in high school that really like morphed into alcohol addiction in college. And um, I saw a lot of therapists who I really didn't resonate with and really didn't connect with when I was growing up. I saw a lot of therapists that were kind of um, blank slate therapists, as we say, which is therapists who don't really believe in sharing anything about themselves. Mm -hmm. And it was really difficult for me to connect. And I truthfully lied to all of the therapists that I saw really until I graduated college and had a therapist who was honest about um, struggling with things. And that really completely changed therapy for me. It completely changed uh, the relationship and the dynamic. And um, I'm, I'm someone who struggled with shame so, so, so much. Really, my family was kind of the type of family that was very like, don't ask, don't tell. You know, it needs to look a certain way. Um, so it was really, really powerful to have a therapist that was like honest. Mm -hmm. um, and I um, was very afraid of, I really felt in college, like I didn't know what I was gonna be able to do. I don't really know how I graduated because I was really, I really struggled in college. And when I was seeing my therapist, I kind of had this thought of, well, if I could get through this, if I can make it to the other side of this addiction and disorder and deal with the trauma, um, you know, I, I promised myself that I would kind of spend my life doing that for other people. And I was really fortunate to be able to make it to the other side. And um, it is just like the privilege of a lifetime that I actually can do that, not just in my office, but with this amazing um, gift of social media that didn't exist 10 years ago. Um, so, so yeah, that's how it kind of all happened. <laughs> wow. You say this, it's a privilege. It's a privilege. And also it, it takes a lot of hard work to get where you are. It does. Yeah. I think people don't always know what, what, you know, goes on behind the scenes of social media sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God, I mean, there's so much about your story that I resonate with, just like little bits of like, you know, my earlier years struggling with an eating disorder. I'm a sober woman now. And um, I, something you said that struck me that I haven't really thought about in a long time was like how much I used to lie to therapists. Mm. Um, and I think that's something that like, even as a therapist, I don't think about a lot yeah. these days, but like that there is such an internalized shame. And I think there's so much healing in these moments of 
someone saying the truths out loud that I've never told anyone and mm -hmm. feeling like it's okay, it's safe to sort of say these things. Um, and I think that is the power in, you know, being willing to sort of be authentic in that way. And I think that that is the reason for me. You know, a lot of times I felt like even my therapist, if they knew the truth of like how screwed up, quote, I felt I was, that they would have a judgment or whatever. I don't even know what I thought, but I certainly lied a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's crazy too, because sometimes we don't like if you would have asked me at the time, was I lying to a therapist? I would have said no. Cause I, when we're lying to ourselves, right? Like we don't have that perception that we're lying to other people. So I think that's really the heart of it too. And it's what I love working with clients who often end up realizing that also is it's like, I don't, I'm never offended by it as a therapist, right? Cause I'm like, you're not lying to me. You're lying to yourself, <laughs> but we can't be honest with others. If we are, you know, have our, the head in our head in the sand for ourselves. Mm. Well, and I think too, it's like for people who are listening, this idea of lying, it's like, there's such a kind of like yucky negative word or that's like yucky negative word. Right. Yeah. And lying can also just be omitting truths. Mm. Lying can also just mean like, I don't know, minimizing something yeah. that's actually really big and powerful. Right. So this idea of lying, it's like, you don't have to be just bold face lying. There's a lot of things I would say ladder up to that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Minimizing, denying, hiding, omitting, all of that. <laughs> mm -hmm. All of those things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like you also, you know, um, what I love so much that I see a lot of times you doing in your posts is really sort of saying there's no one way to sort of do whatever this is. You talk about, you know, like being a sober woman a lot and sort of like that there's not only one way to be sober. Um, I wonder, I guess, if you get any sort of like you know, pushback in terms of like people who really feel like we should be rigid in the medical model and this is the way that we should be talking about um, addiction or have you experienced any of that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling. Um, I did a, I did like a reel a couple months ago that was like kind of destigmatizing and breaking down different. I was saying there isn't one way to be in recovery. I was kind of saying you get to choose what works for you. And I got a ton of pushback. People were very upset that I uh, normalized and said it was okay for, um, you know, MAT, which for those of you that don't know what that is, it's like medically assisted treatment, which might look like, you know, you don't have to be a hundred percent abstinent, mm. whether that's drinking, whether that's drugs, whether that's other things. Um, I'm just a really big believer in we don't know, right, what's going on for people. And I think there's so much that's missed when we're all or nothing, when it's black or white, when it's good and bad. Yes. I mean, maybe for not, like a lot of the world, maybe it is for someone. I can't tell them that, you know, not being totally sober, for example, is going to work for them. I don't know. But by saying it's the only way, we rob so many people of trying it all. And that I think causes, I mean, when you look at the statistics, the percentage of people that are able to maintain hundred percent sobriety, at least in the beginning are not good. Yes. And why are we writing off a whole population just because we think this is the right way to do mm. it. But people were very upset about that. Yeah. yeah and it's all, it also feels a little bit like you're taking away somebody's 
crutch maybe, or you're taking away their, their blanket, right? Like their thing that's actually kept them going to this point. Um, and until you really have that like stability underneath them, um, they have that stability underneath them. Who are we to take that away? 100%. And that is why I'm such a big believer in harm reduction, because mm-hmm. especially if we think about, and I think people sometimes in the recovery community don't think about this, but I think about the woman who is a stay-at-home mom, who is balancing all of these jobs, who is barely keeping her head above the water, and maybe she is drinking or smoking or doing something else, and that is like keeping her afloat. Like, yes. if I were seeing her individually as a therapist, I would never be like, okay, well, you have to do this first, and you do this or don't bother to see me because we don't, we don't know what's going on. And for people, especially when it comes to trauma, especially when it comes to marginalized communities, mm. it may be the lifeline. Mm-hmm. And who are we to say they can't have that lifeline? It may not be optimal of like, are they gonna reach their fullest potential and be enjoying this? Maybe not, but survival is survival. And I think however that happens for people, it can't be shamed. Mm. Right. Maybe yeah. we're not there yet, right? Yeah. It's like, maybe we need to get somebody to a base level first, and then we can talk really? about what does that next step look like? I think too many people put their perspectives and their ideas of what thriving mm. looks like onto other people, right? Yeah. And I love you saying, I mean, that, that we don't know, right? Like, I feel like our work is always to sort of meet the moment with curiosity because I can't see the entire trajectory of your life. Yeah. I don't know what sort of bottom or whatever the situation is that you might need to reach to sort of have whatever realizations you need to have. So for me to put my agenda on you is really sort of missing you in this moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's funny how I'm sure you guys can relate to this when like clients sometimes after they have a realization will ask, at least they've asked me before, like, did you know, like, did you think (laughs) this is what I needed to do? Right. And it's so funny because like a part of you is like, I thought so. (laughs) But the other part of you is like, I don't know, you could have proved me wrong. Like, yeah. People prove me wrong sometimes, whether they're being dishonest about proving me wrong or not, I'll never know. But Mm there's just millions of ways to do things. And I just think there's literally no good that comes from us trying to force people to do it the way we think. I'm just a very big believer in informed consent, giving people options, giving people choices. And that is empowerment. Yeah. Speaking of empowerment, I feel like I'm always, you know, curious to know when I find when I'm sitting with a woman who I find like what she has done really empowering and inspiring, like how did um, the decision to start therapy for women's center come into fruition for you? Yeah. It's really funny because I literally, I mean, it's so funny looking back because I was so like young when I started it. Mm -hmm. I mean, in just like, I went right from, I got my license and I was just like, I'm doing this. And I didn't, I think looking back, if I would have known how much work it was, I would have done it. So I'm glad I didn't know. But um, I really just created the practice that I wanted. I was just like, why isn't there, why aren't there therapists that are honest? Why aren't there therapists that are, um, you know, like modern? Why aren't there therapists that why does, why does it have to be that therapy needs to be, you meet with someone once a week or you don't meet with them at all? Why aren't there more options for not having to get a diagnosis in therapy? Mm. Why aren't there options for someone to really like specialize it and like being able to see a specialist who you know has struggled with 
what you've struggled with. And I just feel like what has made me successful, luckily, is that I just built what I wanted. It became, why aren't there therapists and practices that are on social media? Why aren't there practices that have yoga classes that I made some of my best friends in therapy, in group therapy specifically. So like the idea of the center was, what if we weren't ashamed of being in therapy? Like, mm. I know a lot of my clients would all love each other and like, be <laughs> friends and they're all lonely. Why can't we create an environment where it's easier for them to meet? I and love that. that. <laughs> love that <one. laughs> so much. That's amazing. My supervisor was literally just talking about, like, I have two clients that I know would love each other yeah. so much. Is this a thing that we can yeah. do? Like, can we figure out a way for them to meet? And we're like, well, I don't know. Like maybe yeah. you give them options for like ways right. to be more social. But I love that that is what you've created because you're essentially creating community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I just really believe that we heal together. We heal in community. And um, I think therapy is phenomenal and amazing and I love it. But I also think we have to meet people where they are. And that's really why I'm like, okay, if you can't, if therapy isn't viable for you, like, you know, how do we, can we create workshops where you get to learn about boundaries or you get to learn about, you know, get your questions answered about suicide or whatever it is. And how do we make it accessible in all of like the different ways? That's how we expanded across the country. Cause I just had people reaching out that were just like, I want to work with your practice. Why don't you have therapists you know, in Texas. And I was like, all right, well, (laughs) we'll figure it out. We'll make it happen. I love this idea. I want to go back a little bit because I, there's something about this idea of hiring people who are specialists in things that they have struggled with. That is interesting to me because it's, it's a little bit different than kind of how we came up learning the world yeah. of therapy, right? Um, and and while I do believe that you can be helpful to anybody going through anything, totally. right? Um, and I don't think that for people who are out there looking for therapists, you have to find somebody, right, who specializes. But I do like this idea of saying like, and it's funny because before we got on today and I were actually talking about it a little, we were like kind of disagreeing a bit about it, about it, where I was saying, I actually like this idea of saying, if you're an expert, quote unquote, yep. something, um, you should know what it feels like. And it, it mm-hmm. kind of feels to me like how I'm always pushing on interns to say, have you done your own work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you done your own therapy? Because I would never go to a therapist who hadn't done their own therapy. Yep. Right? Okay. Like, how do you know what it feels like to be in the other, in the other chair? Um, so what I guess is the, the thinking behind that? And obviously you've seen a huge response to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it came out of essentially, I specialize in what I, um, obviously have been through and it really came out of, especially there's a lot of polarization between the eating disorder community and the sober community. Mm. And unfortunately it happens where the sober community makes, gets a lot of people in the sober community when they get sober, a lot of times end up with eating disorders or Mm. end up being really obsessed with health Mm -hmm. and end up shaming people with eating disorders in some capacity or just in general. I worked before I opened my practice, I worked at um, an addiction facility and I worked, I ran the long-term women's program and I was shocked at how many of them that came in. It was addiction, but how many of them had an eating disorder, had an eating disorder before, or then developed one after they got sober. And I felt like no one was talking about this overlap and um, it really, really matters because specifically for me, what I also got really frustrated with, and it's how the center was also born, is 
I had an eating disorder, I had an addiction, and I had trauma. And I was often told, okay, well, oh, sorry, nope, we just figured out you have trauma, so you got to go see this person. And oh, oh, we found out you have an eating disorder, you got to go over there. And I was like, why can't someone just understand all of this? Like, Mm -hmm. there's so much overlap in all of it. And I felt so disjointed that that was how my specialization kind of um, came into play. And of course, as we've expanded and stuff like that, sometimes it looks like, right, they might have one main therapist, but they supplement with an EMDR therapist we have or an art therapist or something like that. Um, I forget what your original question was. <laughs> yeah. I think you answered it. I mean, really, it's like, where did that idea come from, right? Yeah. I think that's it. It came from this desire for a, an overlap, right? No, yeah. it's a desire to recognize the overlap. Yes. Yes. That's what yes. it sounds like. And while I, um, I agree and believe that definitely people can help people who don't have the exact, the exact lived experience, I'm a really big proponent that all the therapists that I hire have done their own work, understand Mm. their own biases, their own limitations. Um, And really to me, while I didn't feel like it was important or while I don't think it's important for everyone, it was important for me to have someone who had struggled with addiction, be honest about it because Mm. of the intense shame I had. I wouldn't have been able to be honest with someone unless someone had shared that with me in some capacity, at least in my experience. Yeah. You know, what's coming up as you're saying that, which is interesting is that I, I've never thought about this until this moment, but so I'm, I tend to say that I specialize in codependency because I am a, like I say, recovering codependent. Um, and, um, you know, I've actually worked with, there's been, I'd say three people who have come to me in private practice struggling with active substance addiction, right? Because we know codependency is also an addiction, (laughs) but active alcoholic, active drug addict, right? And um, we didn't work that long together. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And there was some revelations and there was definitely some growth and I could see some like aha moments, some light bulbs and whatever. Um, But it, it was very short, I would say, in comparison to people who come to me that are struggling with codependency. (laughs) where we could go for years together, right? Um, and I never really thought about it until this moment. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not sitting here going, oh, woe is me. Like, I must not have helped them. Like, I'm, you know, I'm a bad therapist. But I, I'm sure to a certain extent, it's like, okay, you can only understand me so much. Mm-hmm. So there's maybe only so much that I can get out of this relationship before then maybe I have to find another relationship, right? I don't know. I just had that Yeah, thought. I mean, I think it depends on the client. For sure. I think it depends on how well understood they feel and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I'm just a really big believer in like lived experience and just the importance of it. And I think it's unfortunately not always um, prioritized. And I think Mm -hmm. there are just some things that really people who have lived experience have a unique perspective um, that really, really matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was something as you were talking about, like, why can't we have all of these things under one roof that like, just really like, I don't know, something clicked for me and that like, we're all three of us are yoga teachers. And I remember yeah. in each of my teacher trainings, I was so struck by like, every one of these women have had an eating disorder. Like, yeah. it just was like, why is this the, like the thing? Right. And then yeah. some of this is like, one, like humanizing some of the ways that like our humanity shows up when we experience trauma, right? Like this yeah. is what we do with it. Um, and 
I don't know. Like, I think that there is something that is just like so normalizing and destigmatizing around like, let's all come together in one space and just like notice, like, what are the ways your trauma is showing up? What is the way your trauma is showing up? Mine's showing up this way, right? And seeing yeah. there is overlap. Like, that's just really powerful to me. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, so you were talking, Amanda, a little bit about like your social media presence, yeah. which I feel like it's, it's really powerful to see like how much your messages are resonating. I think so much of like how like just real you are, like you'll be like doing your reels, like putting on your makeup and I'm like, <laughs> you just like love her. You feel like, you know, this woman, it's really cool. Um, how did you decide or like, you mm-hmm. know, tell us a little about your social media. Yeah. I mean, it's funny cause I just, I don't think a lot about it. Um, you know what I mean? Like I just, literally the makeup came from like, well, I literally have like, I typically get to work with 15 minutes before I'm supposed to start (laughs) sessions and I throw on tinted moisturizer and mascara. And (laughs) when I'm doing that, I have these ideas of like, what is a good thing to say? Mm. But if I don't capture it in this moment, I will forget. Right. So I just like started doing these videos and I'm like, well, I also need to put on makeup at the same time before my client comes in. So that was how that came about. That totally works. <laughs> and weirdly, I've gotten feedback that it's like soothing or something. That people tell me it reminds them of like getting dressed with friends. <laughs> totally. And so, yeah, I could totally see it. Or like, I was going to say like my mom, like, like yeah. growing up watching my mom get ready, right? And sometimes that was like some of the best conversations we had or like being a kid and just watching her, right? Yeah. Like there's, that is, I never thought about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But you're but so yeah. consistent in your posting. And I'm like, how does she have this much time? Like, <laughs> as I like that. That's how. You just, she just That's how you do it. I'm like, okay, I understand. Because I'm like, she's really consistent in her posting. And her content is so great. And she's clearly a very busy woman. So how is she doing all this? And then you're going to have to start wearing makeup just so that you can start I making posts. Guess, while you're putting right? on your <laughs> this is adding my that I have not put makeup on in 2020 yet. But. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're not alone in that. Many women would agree. Um, there's actually one post that I wanted to bring up yeah. that I thought was was interesting and probably because it's something that I hear a lot and well, now watch me. I had it loaded and that went away. It was the one where you were talking about um, like what's normal in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Oh, here it is. And things that are normal in a relationship, right? And so yeah. there was the obvious ones like jealousy, which I say is obvious, but I know a lot of people don't think that's enough. Yeah, obvious, people do right? not like that. <laughs> Super normal in relationships. Um, but this idea of not having sex for a period of time, yeah. needing to be alone, mm. right? Having needing alone time, being attracted to other people, and mm. masturbating. And I loved all of them because I think every single one of those, and jealousy too, clients have said to me that they've struggled with, right? With their with their their significant other. You know, Danae and I were just talking about a client of hers that's struggling with her partner watching porn. Yep. Yeah. Right? It's another one. And just watching your reel, which I'm sure I didn't look at the comments, but I'm sure there was a lot popping in those comments. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, this idea of like masturbation and being attracted yeah. to others, I feel like I've had these conversations in my personal relationships so often, but I love that you are just trying to be like, no, y'all, this is normal. Mm. I'm wondering like, where did the idea for that one come? Did it come out of a, a client session? It did. <laughs> yeah. It did. A lot of my posts, especially the normalizing posts. Yeah come out of just like, it's weird too. And maybe you guys experience this. I feel like randomly themes come through all of my clients, yes. like weirdly are dealing with the same thing at the same time. Yeah. Totally. Like a lot of my clients are all dealing with right now, 
or a couple months ago, they were all dealing with just slumps in their relationships and how do you be a partner and how are you living with someone, which is how some of that all came about. Um, and yeah, I just think that there's so much power to normalizing things, to not having to wait on a girlfriend or mm. a friend to tell you mm. like, oh no, I, I do that too. And you mm. could actually like preemptively have media or people just say like, no, this is, this is normal. And we don't get to decide. Like some people also got very upset in the comments and were saying like, yeah, but jealousy isn't healthy. And it's like, okay, yes, up to a certain extent, acting on jealousy, trying to control someone, doing things like that definitely can be unhealthy. But I think there is so much power in normalizing thoughts, normalizing mm. ideas, normalizing differences yes. that um, people are different. And if we could understand that, I think that would, that would help a lot in the world. Well, and it's also separating the feelings and the thoughts from actions that come out of them, right? Because yeah. sure, there's a lot of jealous behaviors that I would say right. are not healthy, but this, the thought, the feeling that's yeah. associated with it is very normal. And I think that yeah. that's where it trips people up a lot, right? Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And I think too, it's like so often what I struggled with and I think a lot of clients I see struggle with is like beating themselves up for just these normal urges, these mm. normal thoughts, these normal ideas. And I find so much, it's not even about the thing, it's about them beating themselves up about it is what mm. causes so many of the issues. And if they could actually be compassionate or understanding with themselves that they may have this thought or they may, you know, for so long and in yoga, it was actually when I realized it and really got it was like, I'm not my thoughts. I thought mm -hmm. I was my thoughts for a really long time. And I thought I was a really bad person because I would think mean thoughts or I would want to like, you know, you know, quit college or slap my mom or whatever. Right? <laughs> and it's like, just because you think that doesn't right. mean that it's true and mm -hmm. you don't have to beat yourself up for it. And actually beating yourself up for it like causes way more shame and causes way more problems than just accepting it. Mm, so true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's so often the meaning we're making of whatever yes. the thing is, right? Like not the actual thing, but just the, the way I'm holding it. It's so powerful. Yeah. I always say that, like I tell clients, it's like emotions and thoughts and feelings. It's like, think about a little toddler who wants mm. your attention and they're like mm -hmm. pulling on your pant, like, like mom, 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 mom. You know, the more you kind of go, not right now, not right now. Yeah. I'm talking later they're going to keep doing it. But if you just get down, look them in the eyes and say, what do you want to tell me? What is it? Most of the time they're like, look, and then they run away, <laughs> you know, and that's it. It's over. <laughs> and it's like, you can kind of think about your emotions, especially the strong ones, like a toddler. <laughs> Anxiety is the same way. It's like, just please acknowledge me. I just yeah. want to be seen. Yeah. It's yeah. like, Bobby, look. <laughs> that's Absolutely. it. Mm. So I feel like You've been this week, um, as Vanessa was saying, when we got on, we're like right in the midst of the election. Um, what have your sessions with clients been like this week? I know you've oh been talking gosh. about what it's been like for you, but what has it been like sitting with people? Um, I have, I feel like, yeah, it's funny. I feel like the election compared to even the pandemic, mm -hmm. this has been way harder. And maybe it's because we have like a, potentially an outcome very mm -hmm. soon. Um, but it's been, a, it's, I actually saw, I'm sure you guys follow um, Jamie of Find Your Shine Therapy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She posted a beautiful video this morning talking about how, just like a shout out to therapists, talking about how therapists 
are right now going through something that we're going through at the same time, right, with the pandemic and the election. And she was talking about how it's like being a lifeguard and trying to save someone while you're like barely keeping your head mm. above the water. And I was just, that like just really hit me. And that's kind of yes. how I felt this week, you know, just yeah. <laughs> barely keeping it together. But, um, you know, it seems like it's starting to settle down and I've just been really compassionate towards myself and mm. trying to give that with my clients too, of just like, sometimes they're just for survival. It's, it's okay to survive right yeah. now. I posted something actually yesterday, I reposted something that um, I thought was huge where it was like, stop asking therapists to be apolitical. Mm, yes. And she went to this whole thing about like, why the, why did therapists actually get into this job? Like most of us, huh. it's because we have an intense passion for helping others and we care about people and you know, all these things. And it's like, so please don't tell us that we need to be apolitical, you know? And I got a lot of responses to that, like actually positive responses. People were like, yeah, I would actually be, what did somebody say to me? She goes, I would actually think it's weird if you weren't. <laughs> I was yeah. like, thank you. Yeah. It's like, not just are we impacted, but it's like, uh, like my clients will be directly impacted yes. with by this and I will literally be supporting them <laughs> through it so how can we how can we not mm -hmm. yeah it's such an interesting question I mean I feel like you know early in the summer with like everything that was happening with Black Lives Matter um you know, like my therapy group, we were sort of sitting with like, how do we hold this? Like how much do we sort of share about like our thoughts on this? And mm -hmm. does that create a lack of safety for clients who may feel differently? Um, and it's, you know, I think it's tough. I think some of the most powerful conversations I've had with clients is in them sitting in moments like, Danae, it's actually really hard for me to talk to you about this as a woman of color because I'm just yeah. like afraid I'm going to say the wrong mm -hmm. thing. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you, thank you so yeah. much for telling me that truth. And um, I feel safer with you sharing that with me, right? So I, I don't know, I guess it again circles back to what you were saying initially that like as we like say the thing, as we do show up as our authentic selves, ultimately that creates more safety, hopefully. Completely. And I think too, like what you were saying is I think there it's so interesting how I think right in all relationships conflict can create um, a deeper connection because we learn how to rebuild we end up creating like more closeness and safety with the person and it's so funny how often clients are nervous right to tell us something or tell us they want it right like even a lot of people reach out to me and say things like my therapist is doing this and I don't like it. And what do I do? And my response is always like, tell them, please. <laughs> they want to know. Yeah. Yeah. Because those end up being some of the best sessions, right? When people tell you, I don't know if I want to do therapy anymore. I don't know if mm. I like this or can you do something different or whatever. That's where that real deep work can, can show up. Yeah. Love that. And so you were saying that your practice has sort of expanded um, all over now. So is yeah, it like, I'm like, tell me more. We're like, so is that in the framework of coaching? Like, how are you guys doing? Yeah, <laughs> yes. So I'm a really big believer in therapy specifically rather than coaching. Um, so we've hired licensed therapists who are licensed in different states around the country. Um, and part of that also has been just because I think with I mean, the pandemic, right, has just opened up all of these options for, I think, people who maybe were nervous about teletherapy or not super interested in it. Um, so yeah, I've just been through social media, been really lucky that 
Um, I have a reach to, and I know therapists who know people in different states and stuff like that. So um, yeah, it's been really cool that we have therapists that are licensed um, in California, Texas. We have Virginia, DC, and Maryland. I just hired a woman um, mm. and California. That's so it's been cool. And your, your whole team's women, right? <laughs> and um, so do you guys have team meetings virtually now? Is We do. We do. So yeah, yeah. we, um, I have the, the therapists that work for me in Philly are full time and like W2 and everything like that. So we meet once a week and then the ones that are um, virtually somewhere else that are more part time, um, we, we meet like once a month. Mm. Are so you it's been, been interesting to navigate that. Sorry. Are you well, still okay. seeing clients in person in Philly? We are a little bit. So we're lucky that our, um, we aren't in a high rise or anything like that. We're actually in this very old historic little building um, that is just us. So we've been, and our offices are like fairly big. So we've been very lucky compared to other practices where we actually can social distance. We've been doing therapy and masks. Mm -hmm. Just something I never thought I was very nervous to do. How is it? It's interesting. I was, it's not as bad as I thought. Um, it's still hard for sure. Um, and I prefer to obviously do, uh, without masks or video sessions and stuff like that. But there is like a, there is a co-regulation that I think really, really happens. Mm. We also have EMDR therapists who it's really not great for them to do it via video. Um, yeah. So yeah, you know, who knows what happens. We may have to shut back down again, which is fine, but that's fascinating. I mean, I'm thinking about myself sitting across from somebody with a mask on and all I can think of is like when I want to nod or smile, like wanting yeah. to be like, you know, Sometimes I feel like I need cue cards. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm smiling. <laughs> yes. Like I need an emoji. That's like, <laughs> yeah. it's almost like, you know, because before working online, I was such a proponent of in-person. Mm. And, you know, you get you get used to it. You actually really love it. And then I'm thinking, how would I work with somebody without being able to see their face and then not being able to see mine? That's just, yeah. I don't have an answer. That's just fascinating to me. I think you get better at reading eyes mm. and forehead expressions. Yeah. And other body language. Like, I think naturally people actually become more expressive yeah. now that they have a mask and they know. It's funny. I ordered like clear masks. I was like, gonna ask you. Great, and they're they're like vinyl. You can't breathe through them. Um, <laughs> it's like putting a rain jacket over your face. <laughs> it, it literally is like a shower curtain over. <laughs> oh man, those didn't work out. Maybe maybe I'll try a different one. But um, yeah, I think I think it depends on the client. But I think that you know you get more creative. Also, with I have some art therapists who you know mm. that works really when you have another modality too. I think that can be really powerful and I think people just get more expressive with their you get better at reading their eyes and their eyebrows and mm. forehead too in a way I guess we're challenging ourselves and each other right to actually yeah. pay closer attention yes I never yeah. thought about it like that actually until this conversation like you really do have to hone in and pay attention to energy body yeah. language eyes you know we, we before we might be able to have a conversation where we kind of look around and look away yeah. and we don't really have that ability anymore you have to kind of get deeper yeah. yeah. And I think it's the same with, you know, like, uh, video sessions as I remember when I was first doing them, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't get to feel the connection. I don't get to feel their energy, but you adapt. And, yeah. you know, I think 
different for everybody. And we definitely have clients that are like, I will wear a mask forever if I have to, because I really want to be here in person versus mm -hmm. we have some that are like, I could, I actually would be fine doing this forever. So I just think it's another cool way that we get to kind of meet people where they are. Yeah, that's so true. I feel like we are sort of teaching ourselves to be a little bit more agile as mental health professionals. And it feels like a really, I don't know, powerful metaphor for like what this entire year has taught all of us that, you know, we sort of like roll with whatever is coming up and what is this teaching me in this moment? Like, what is this difficulty now here for, right? Like, um, yeah. how do I hold this? Because I was the same. Like, I was like, I am just not like a telehealth person. I yeah. just cannot imagine like not being in the room with someone. And I've been so surprised, like how much I still feel really connected to my clients. So there's learning, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I started to, I was like, it is so much more draining to do telehealth mm -hmm. versus in person, which I still feel, but yeah. I do think also, you know, um, even like this, like this doesn't feel draining to me, you know, cause you right. get better at when you can see people's faces and stuff like that. It, we, we adapt. We do have some questions for you yeah. that we ask all of our guests. Yeah, I love it. Well. Um, so the first one is, who have been your greatest mentors, teachers, thought leaders, people you sort mm -hmm. of draw inspiration from? Um, I mean, I feel like I'm every, every therapist says this, but I am like the biggest Brene Brown fan mm -hmm. in the world. Um, I just really trust her. I really... Uh, I really value her and I feel like I've just learned a lot um, with that. Um, my own therapist, I love and I am just a huge proponent of being in therapy and having support and, and learning from anyone. I think you can really learn from anyone if you pay attention and listen. Mm. I also really think honestly, like the, the community of Instagram therapists, I feel mm. like I have learned so much, especially about racism and different people's perspectives and how to be anti-oppressive in my practice and how to stand up for these values and how do I, you know, support people and all kinds of stuff like that. And hearing even just like different lived experiences of different people. Like I've learned a lot this year from people, um, you know, who are, who have shared about being neurodivergent, for example, or other things like that, that I wouldn't have even thought about. And I'm so grateful for as many issues as the internet and social media bring, I just also feel really, really grateful for how much free, accessible education yes. there is from other therapists. Like it's amazing to be able to learn from people that I don't even know all across the country. Yeah, I think Can we that's... get some CEs for social media? I, mean, I know. Right? <laughs> As you were saying that, I was like, yeah, I kind of feel like I'm always studying now. That I'm yeah, media. right. Because yeah. someone writes something and they share a book and then I'm like, okay, well, I got to go do this or I got to right. do this training. Yeah, that's such a good point, though. I do feel like there is so much of like mentorship and, you know, yeah. just information that I, you know, like people do have different thoughts about therapists being on social media and I mean, I just, I love it so much. I'm so grateful to have access to so many different voices in this way. Why wouldn't we have licensed therapists show up here when, let, without us, it is going to be like bachelorette contestants that are writing <laughs> blog posts about managing your anxiety. <laughs> 
I love that. Why wouldn't we? Everyone else talks about mental health. Why wouldn't you have a professional talk about it? Yes. (laughs) That's amazing. Well, they're selling you, you know, a skinny tea too at the end. Um, you know, I got this, I got a text message yesterday, which was so funny. I shared it with my partner. I got a text message yesterday from my mom and she texted me an image. And obviously by the, the shape of the image, I could tell that it's an Instagram post. Yeah. And she doesn't say she got it on Instagram, right? But it's all about like anxiety and like high, like high functioning anxiety and how, how it manifests, right? Mm-hmm. And she just like asked me my thoughts on it. And, and you know, my mom's very open to having conversations about mental health, but you know, we all are in our silos, I think, on social media, and her silo is very different than mm. my silo. And I had this moment of like, oh, okay, someone's been following some Instagram therapists. Like, there was a little part of me that was like, because she follows me, I wonder if it's like infiltrating her feed. Yes. And there was like this little evil laugh, like, ha, 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 you know, like, I'm going to just start <laughs> passing her more so that her algorithm starts getting blown up. And I just thought it was funny. It's like, this is how it works, right? You, she kind of, she must have fallen into this hole. And then she started going and I was like, yes, this is great. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's beautiful though, because the, you know, like we are therapists, we also have people outside of the therapy world that are in our lives that are following our accounts that, you know, you start to see them following some of the people that we're following and it's cool. It's like we're sharing all the love, especially like with people that may not have access to this work. Yeah, that's the biggest. Mm. Um, Okay, so our second question is, what breaks your heart? Oh, many things, many things. I mean, what comes to mind right now, honestly, if I'm just being completely authentic, like Mm -hmm. I am very heartbroken just about the, like what's happening in the country with the, Mm -hmm. just the racial divide with, um, just the level of like hate that's happening, um, with, yeah. Um, I feel that people not being able to have access to like basic needs, healthcare, food, all kinds of stuff like that, I think is like the biggest thing that, that breaks my heart. And, um, it really stigma really, really, really breaks my heart too. When people feel like they're isolated and they can't be honest and they can't get the support, um, that they need, that also really breaks my heart too. Mm, So much. Yes. Yeah. Um, so what is a flow state for you, Amanda, that thing that you can just like do hours pass by, you haven't even seen the hours going, you're just like deep within something you love? A really great question. I love that question. Um, let's see. Um, I really actually really love, um, I really love branding, which is like weird to mm-hmm. say, but um, I like love creating graphics for Instagram. <laughs> I love creating, I love like fidgeting with things on my website and I can like have hours go by where I just like am fidgeting with things and moving things slightly. So I'm a little bit of like a graphic designer brand nerd. Um, I love that. I also, um, I don't like do super hardcore yoga anymore the way that I used to, but I really love to stretch Mm. and I just can like, I love just listening to music and I will like listen to one song on repeat. (laughs) I'm like a repeat song person and I will just like if I'm having a rough day or I'm in my feels 
that's like one of the biggest things that I do is I put on a song or two, I listen to headphones and I just like stretch and move and cry and do whatever kind of comes up for me. I love it. I love it. Okay. The last one's very intense. What's your favorite food? Mm, I love candy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Broad category of candy. I appreciate that. My kind of woman. I love candy. Um, I really love licorice and red vines. Like if red vines wants to sponsor me, that is great. Yes. I love candy. I love ice cream. All the things. Your woman after Janae's heart. She gets me. I, I just love Amanda already. My hand has almost been stabbed multiple times for trying to take some of Danae's dessert. So she just needs to order her own dessert, people. It's yeah. like if you want dessert, order a dessert. It's not hard. Completely. Completely. I'm also just a proponent of I'm just like, I need to make sure the dessert happens. So it's like if that means that dinner gets thrown away in favor of dessert or I eat dessert early, that's fine with me. That's some real talk right there. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Well, Amanda, you know, it's just, it's so nice to meet you. And, you know, I really have just loved watching you um, on social media. I think you are doing so much good in the world, sort of normalizing the work that we do and putting a voice to it. So thank you for the work that you're doing. And um, please carry on because we need you now more than ever. Thank you guys so much. This was so fun to chat with you. This was such, it was so great to chat with two other therapists, especially. <laughs> so this was such a welcome recharging hour. Great. I didn't even realize how much I needed it until I'm right? on the end of it. I'm like, oh, that feels good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Other conversations. Something else. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much. Right. Well, be well. Be well. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin.